Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom, where wisdom comes from everywhere. This is a podcast about generational wisdom shared to help build a bridge for future generations and to build stronger communities through education, technology, and health. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Hola, hola. You know, we all know climate change is a huge topic these days. We see it everywhere in the news and also with the fires that have been happening, not just here in the United States, but also in Canada. It's going to be one of the biggest topics and talking points in the coming election year of 2024. Why is that? Well, the Biden administration released $369 billion into what is known as the Inflation Reduction Act, and it is allocated to climate investments over the next 10 years. What does that mean? That means the Biden administration is trying to create jobs and build the economy for future generations on the green economy and building investments into communities that can help build a green and sustainable economy and for actually the planet. So let's look at this. California is leading the way, but we still have one of the worst pollutions in the nations. So it's imperative we do get on board and check out what we can do as a community to set the standard as good stewards of the planet. This podcast will talk about ways in how California is leading the way and how we can look at new ways of innovation into the green economy. So let's welcome Michelle Romero, Chief Strategy Officer of Dream.org. Michelle Romero is the Chief Strategy Officer of Dream.org. As a Latina in the C-Suite, Michelle oversees programs that focus on ending mass incarceration while building an inclusive green economy, diversifying tech, and uniting unlikely allies to create a more equitable future. She's wenching going on a mission to make sure brown and black folks are included in this green for all economy and not just for some. So let's welcome Michelle. Hola, Michelle. We have a very important election year coming up, and there's a lot of big topics that are going to be talks amongst our community, especially here in California. And I'd like to focus a little bit about your initiatives through dream.org and how you came into climate change as a Latina in the C-suite at dream.org. But not only that, you've worked with some really big chingons in the industry like Van Jones and, you know, the incarceration initiatives that he's been on. You've been on CNN and you've just done all these wonderful things for community around social justice and environmental justice. And that's what I want to get into today with you. So thank you for joining me on these very needed conversations around our community, especially here in California. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk. You know, I think nationally, the conversation around climate change and environmental issues is one that sort of paints this picture that the green economy is for coastal elites. And that just isn't true. I mean, it just really isn't true. Low-income communities and communities of color, whether you're in urban areas or whether you're in rural areas, are the most impacted by pollution. And climate pollution, you know, the same pollution that affects our health and our well-being, 
is the same pollution that is warming the planet and causing all of these sort of extreme weather events and things like that. Heat waves, fires, flooding. We had so many atmospheric rains this year in California. I mean, it's just astounding what's been happening. And so when we talk about what the solutions are, you know, we need to really design the solutions with everyone in mind, too, that this economy, that everything that is good for the planet is a job. It's a contract. It's a business opportunity. It's a chance to invest and to reinvest in a lot of the communities that we have either disinvested in or underinvested in over the years. So, yeah, lots of opportunity in the green economy for rural communities, for sure. I've got a friend, Ray Leon, the mayor of Huron, who actually founded the LEAP Institute. And they've got programs out there called Green Right Thittles, which is using electric vehicles as rideshare. Almost if you think about it, like zip car, but electric. And for rural areas, you know, that don't have those kinds of programs. You don't have Uber and Lyfts in these more remote areas. And it's helping them reach hospitals. She was sharing with me a story about how, look, from her on this mostly migrant farm worker community that is growing the fruits and vegetables as the breadbasket, essentially, he would tell you he's the breadbasket for the country. They can't even access healthcare and hospitals despite the pollution impacts in their community. It's three hours away on a public bus and you got to take multiple buses and transfer. That's one way. So if you think about that coming back, that's at least a six hour round trip. Like when do you schedule your appointment? You know, and the buses don't even run back to their towns at night. And so green solutions help with mobility in local communities. It can help with things like affordable housing. It's helping residents in Fresno who are low income weatherize their homes and bring down their energy bills. I've heard folks with a thousand dollar a month energy bills some months, you know, because in the Central Valley, it also gets very hot. And so July comes and suddenly your bill goes from $300 a month to $1,000 a month. Who can afford that? Right. It's the air conditioning. It's really an inequity of how do we keep people cool in the summertime, especially the farm working community when they're out there in the sun. And then when they come home, there's no cooling mechanism. And then also we reverse it into the wintertime. You know, there's no heat. We are in the year 2023 in one of the most economic powerhouses in the nation. And the people that are putting food on your table can't even have proper air conditioning, healthcare, and heating. And it's 90% of the workforce toward the ag industry. So it's just blowing my mind right now about all this information and you know how climate change is really going to affect even more that industry. So, I mean, let's break it down here into... Why you're a champion for this? Yeah, well, look, before I was working on environmental issues, I was actually working on immigration reform issues. That was something I was very passionate about. Access to higher education. My first job out of college was around voting rights. I was really passionate about making sure our communities had a voice in the issues that affect their lives the most and using policy as a vehicle for change. And then I had an opportunity, you know, I was asked to come and join Dream.org and help to lead its Green for All initiative. And at the time, I thought, Green for All, gosh, this environmental stuff, I'm not, I'm really not sure. Like, as a Latina from the outside looking in, I really thought that this environmental stuff was for white hippie tree huggers. I mean, I was working in Berkeley, California. It's like one of the most progressive cities in the country. 
And quite literally, there were, you know, students there protesting the cutting down of a tree, right? It's chaining themselves to a tree. And so for me, I think what drives me is the racial justice, the social justice, the economic justice of it. And I didn't know as someone who was on the outside of the environmental movement what it really had to offer our communities because the way it sort of advertised itself, you know, the largest organizations that are sort of advertising value proposition of the environmental movement. It's like, save the trees, save the whales, save the polar bears. Oh, the plastic straws and the turtle nose. <laughs> like Those are the images that you see, right? I see images of people training themselves to a tree, but not to a black or brown person who's suffering hunger, right? I don't see them jumping in front of, you know, folks of color who are getting shot by police. Like, that's not what I'm seeing. And so I think that for me at Green for All, the Green for All program at dream.org, it's that we're doing it different, that Green for All is working at the intersection of racial justice, the economy, and climate change, and saying, look, we recognize that the people who are hit first and worst by these issues are our communities. They're communities of color, they're working class families. And so then when we think about the solutions, we're not going to sit on the sidelines and say, okay, well, you all decide right? When you want to send those solar panels our way, or you all decide when we can finally get some charging stations to cut our gas prices so we don't have so much in fuel. We believe that the people hit first and worst should not benefit last and least from the solutions. And so that's what we do. We basically are looking at where are we investing in climate solutions and how do we get those solutions, be it green jobs, affordable housing, near transit-oriented development, energy efficiency programs, home weatherization, electric vehicle chargers in the hood. Like, how do we get some of these things to the communities that need them most and fight pollution where it lives? Yeah. So, you know, you bring up a really interesting thing about like charging stations in the hood, because, you know, I don't see many Teslas roaming around East L.A. or even out here in East O. You know what I mean? It's like, how do we incentivize the community around electric charging stations for cars. You know, I see a lot of Latinidad buying, you know, the Chevys and the Fords, you know, they're a little more economical, the big trucks. Oh, my God. And it's because they're working, right? And they put all their construction things in in the truck. It's a definite mind shift in that way. I'm just curious, like, what do you think about that? Mm -hmm. Transportation and, you know, when you think about the cost of living, Like we have a high cost of living and low quality of life right now. And these green economy solutions offer an opportunity to lower our cost of living and improve our quality of life. So after your rent or mortgage, the place you spend the most money in your household budget, it tends to be your utilities and your fuel costs, your transportation costs. Those are the two things. So lowering your energy by weatherizing your home, by getting into solar, you know, things like that that are going to save you money is one way to cut your actual month-to-month expenses. Transportation is the other. And so you talked about, you know, electric vehicles. Public transportation, I don't want to overlook because that's such an important thing, too, if we improve routes. We've got places in Oakland, they're trying to catch the bus, and the buses are full, so they pass entire stops, making people late to work. And that's just because they don't have enough service to meet the demand. And so if we actually improve that, you know, that's one of the ways. But when we talk about, like, electric vehicle infrastructure, I mean, I work on this stuff. You know, I can tell you all the benefits to the planet, but as a consumer, I'm not going to buy an electric vehicle. And I don't expect, you know, my dad or my mom or my sister to if they don't know how they're going to charge it. And so I think part of it is education. But California has some really, really great programs. 
And I think actually that the country should be looking at what California is doing because, you know, the federal government just authorized now $369 billion in the Inflation Reduction Act for climate investment. And again, why in the Inflation Reduction Act? Because climate investments, climate solutions actually help reduce the cost of living. And so if we use that money and infuse it in programs we've seen work in California and do that all across the country, it could be really great. Now, some of these programs are things like cash for clunkers. So some folks who have these like really old beater cars, there were events in California where you could line up. And this was happening, actually, I think, in Stockton in the Central Valley. And uh, you could basically line up to trade in your old clunker and get cash back so that you can use that as a down payment on some newer, cleaner car or Train it for a bus pass if you wanted to get into public transportation. That's one option. The other things are things like these rebates and tax incentives. Now, the tax incentives, you know, if you have some mixed feelings about it, I think for someone in my situation or, you know, it, it works fine if you're going to fill out your taxes and get you. You can afford front cost of the car. Then you get a rebate on your tax return. That's great. But I think to think about cash off the price at the point of sale is really important. And there's been some pilots around that because if the car dealerships, right, could be the ones to have to file, (laughs) get the rebates later, then the consumer can say, okay, I can afford it right now. But some of these, you know, we talked about Teslas. A lot of these car companies, I mean, every car company at this point is having an electric model or, or steering. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Look, the utilities have some cool stuff, too. So when we started doing some research to see about getting an electric car for ourselves, you know, it is a different type of education when you're thinking of actually buying. Right. But our utility company, we're lucky not every utility has this. Many more are starting to have programs like this where you can get a savings off your energy bill. You call them and let them know that you're charging an electric car at your house. And they'll bring down your rates. So I really haven't seen almost any increase to my energy bill because they bring the rates down knowing that you're charging a car. They also offered either $500 as a rebate to pay essentially for like the first two years of what your fuel cost might be or a level two charger to be installed at your house. You know, now we have an outdoor outlet. So if you have an outdoor outlet already installed, usually that has the capacity to charge your car. So we just plug it into basically a regular outlet in our house. But it's things like that. It's like, how do we create the program so that it can be affordable? And then now that all of these different car companies are creating the vehicles, they're in different price points. It's not as expensive as people thought. And we're now starting to see a used EV market too. Right. You know, how do we tackle it from both ends? Because communities are affected by the car emissions. And I want to get back to the ag industry, right? Because when we talk about the pollution and the pesticides in the Central Valley, the emissions and, you know, having EVs on the road will definitely, you know, reduce that. But I want to talk about the quality of life of another community that is left out of the conversation. And a lot of people will have pushback about this, but it's people that are incarcerated. There was just an article I read today about how some prisons don't even have air conditioning, which is inhumane to me. So what is the justice around getting social environmental justice? I have a couple of things to say on this for sure. And it starts really with that humanity, like you said. I mean, we have to heal society like the same things, the same ideas that contributed to 
this global problem of climate pollution that we now face is the same problem and way of thinking that's contributed to the U.S.'s like mass incarceration problem, right? It's just out of control when you compare it to other developed countries. And it's the idea of throwaway communities. Like it's the idea that you can have places in the Central Valley, which by the way, a lot of the cities in the Central Valley and places in California actually rank on the top most polluted cities lists when we look at this nationally. So it's the idea that you can have places like that, that you can have the Flints, the Richmonds, the Cancer Alleys. Like the, we could call it Cancer Alley. Everyone knows it's Cancer Alley. And then that's just fine. Like that's normal, right? You know, my friend Blanca, who grew up in Richmond, California, I remember seeing the Chevron oil refinery explosion and calling her and saying, hey, are you OK? The news is telling everyone to shelter in place. And she just sort of laughed and said, yeah, I mean, I grew up here like happens and we have an alarm system in the city to tell us to come inside. And when I looked it up, it was like, sure enough, there'd been like 19 incidents at that Chevron over the last 20 or 30 years. You know, I mean, almost one a year, one every two years. Like that's just the normal for some communities. And I think the fact that it doesn't happen in all of our backyards allows us not to concern ourselves with it. But if we're not concerned about what's happening in other people's backyards in terms of our most vulnerable populations, by the time it's in ours, it could be too late. And that's basically the situation you see with climate pollution. It's like we allowed that to happen so much in pockets of places Ignored, ignored, ignored. And now it's like, oh, okay. well, it's a global problem. It's only grown. And so when I think about mass incarceration, same thing. Look, environmentalists want to talk about single use plastic and not throwing things away and recycling and reusing and upcycling. I mean, there's whole industries around this stuff now. Okay, but what about the talent that we're locking up? You know, we talk a lot about communities of color in terms of being the most polluted, being the most impacted by poverty, having higher rates of asthma, cancer, you name it. Those things are all true. But we don't talk enough about the talent, the genius, the innovation, the solutions, the ideas that exist in our communities. And I'm telling you, a lot of those people that are locked up in prisons right now are some of the most talented, genius, freaking people around. And the reason they applied those talents to wrong choices, okay, was because maybe they didn't have access to opportunities where they grew up. Maybe they didn't see a different path, but they were smart and clever. And so they found other ways to sort of make things happen. If we actually had prison systems that were about rehabilitation, that were about upcycling, so to speak, I guess you could say, then we wouldn't be further traumatizing people when they go in. We wouldn't be leaving them with no resources and in worse conditions than when they entered as they leave prison and try to figure out how to get a job and how to get housing when they come out. If we actually had prisons that provided job training, green job training. Some people don't know this, but in California and some other states, folks incarcerated are actually serving as the auxiliary firefighting workforce. So when we have these massive wildfire events and things like that, that go beyond our current firefighting capacity, they send in folks who are incarcerated, who are trained in this, and they're paid something like a dollar a day to do this. But when they get out of prison, they're not qualified. They're excluded because of their record from having those actual jobs, from supporting themselves with the skills that they got. So we've got to change that. We've got to change that. If we could take some of the people who most need work, like those coming home from prison, and put them to work doing the jobs that most need done, like building this green economy and all this new 
clean energy infrastructure we need, then we can solve poverty and pollution at the same time. Wow. That is really impactful. I think especially going out there on the front lines of fighting fire. And as most of us know, firefighters in bigger cities, that's a very elite position. Very few people of color are actually in those ranks. There's a lot of retirement funds and unions that are associated to that. You know, there's barriers to this. And so when you think about that, how are we going to solve these problems? And it goes back to talent. Like you said, it's the same thing in the tech industry. Why can't we have more folks in the tech industry on product solutions, on product teams, doing and creating more product technology platforms, maybe coming from an incarcerated background by mistake for something very trivial and getting them back into society or they don't get funding. They can't do all these things. So you're absolutely right in saying we are gatekeeping a lot of talent in this capacity to solve very big problems. How do we get past that systemic issue? We all know what it is. How do we create policy making here in California and with the Biden administration that you just mentioned is funding $369 billion? I mean, really, when you put your head around all the things we're talking about here and how people of color can contribute to this in this economy by doubling down and making impact, I can't see them not investing for the future. That's my thought. But I want to get your take on that. Well, look, I want to start with the investment and then I'll talk about the jobs. But the investment piece is, you know, we have to recognize that we have a long history of discriminatory practices in the U.S. Yes, we know. One of them, though, is called redlining. And redlining was when the banks would literally pull out a map and draw with red marker, red lines around the communities that they were not going to invest in. And these were communities of color, right? These were black and brown neighborhoods. And so they might set up an ATM in that area so they can take your money, (laughs) so they can take your money and use that to invest. But they weren't giving small business loans, homeownership loans. It was an extraction of wealth. And so when we think about that $369 billion in climate investment, we need to target those dollars. If we target those dollars to these same places that we've underinvested in that later became the siting facilities of power plants and fracking and all of these pollution-based economy practices, and we can start to turn things around, right? We can start to heal. We can start to reinvest. We can invest in a greener future for everybody. At dream.org, we are actually helping communities figure out how to draw down those dollars. So we've got a couple of things that we're doing We work with the agencies, the federal and state agencies on how to design the policies, how to give out that money so that it's fair and equitable. But we also work with communities. So if communities are looking at, hey, how do I bring some of those climate dollars to my community? We have a project. Or how do I work with my community to develop a project that could be competitive for the funds that they're going to give out? You can connect with us. You could text the word DREAM to 97483. It'll prompt you to say what you're interested in, say climate investment, and it'll get you added to our newsletter. We've got a monthly newsletter where we curate all of the information about what funds are available, you know, how to access those, any trainings, resources, tools, workshops, webinars that we might be having. All of that gets curated from us and from other people, right? So it's just a resource for communities to have so you can get on our monthly newsletter again that's the word dream text that word to 97483 and then as far as our talent 
So these $369 billion are going to generate a projected 900,000 new jobs, so almost a million new jobs over the next decade. And this is, again, in an industry where we've already had a shortage of skilled talent. So things like solar installers, wind turbine technicians and the like, these are areas that are skilled jobs. And we haven't had enough people to be able to fill the demand we had before those investment funds were authorized. Now we're talking about really massive ramping up of of skill training. So if you are looking for a job or wondering what industry to get in, whether you're a young college student or someone who's just looking for a career shift, the green economy is the place to look 100%. We run scholarship programs. You don't have to be in college. That's something that makes us unique. A lot of our scholarships actually do go to folks who are either early career or mid-career or later in their career and they're making a pivot and you need upskilling in really anything. It's like, let's say you have a finance background and you need to learn solar modeling so you can actually go into green finance. You find a training program that you want to take, you apply for our scholarship and we're giving out scholarships. We've got one more cycle of this coming up this year. So again, if you text DREAM to 97483, let us know you're interested in scholarships. It'll prompt you. It'll ask you what you're interested in. Then we can know to get you on the list. Make sure that you hear about that. You can also check out our website, dream.org. And when is the date for that? The next cycle will open, yeah, late summer, early fall. Just so we know, because this becomes evergreen content. But you can always go to the website at dream.org and stay informed by signing up for the newsletter and looking at the resources page. And that's, I was just going to say, that's our last cycle for this year, but we do run these cycles all year. And so you get on the list and we'll continue to tell you about future opportunities. Yeah, that's awesome. And I want to know, because I was on your website, I want to know about this live green or die trying. So what is that campaign? (laughs) Live green or die trying. And it is all focused on how to get green, right? Get money so that you can live green. So get money, climate investment, live green for climate solutions or die trying because, hey, guys, this is our shot, right? This is the last sort of defining decade. And, you know, I think I'm not really about doom and gloom. I think that we have so much capacity to create the future we want. And believing that there's nothing we can do assures us of the future we don't want, you know? And I really think that it's incumbent on all of us to do our part. Yes. And I think California can really set the standard for the rest of the nation, especially with our community, which is, you know, highly indexed on all industries, specifically just to circle back to the ag industry, which is supported by the farm working community, which is predominantly Latino in the Central Valley. We talked about a lot of things here that if we just doubled down, and this is going to be a very big topic in the coming election year of 2024. This is something we all need to kind of tune our ears into because we all need to be a part of that conversation It is imperative to our economy and our future generations and also how technology is involved in that entire thread. We should all be very much aligned to the messaging here for California, because if we set the standard and we can really pull policies forward for communities, that really sets the stage for a lot of other states in the nation. But I feel like that's what this administration is really banking on is California and the Latino community to really set that standard. Am I saying that out of tune here? Or is that really what's happening? Is that the standard for the green economy and the election? 
Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of amazing stuff that's happened in California because California went ahead. It went first. It didn't wait. Now it has the advantage of being the ninth largest economy or wherever it ranks now. Right. And so we fortunately have the funding to be able to make these investments in our own state. And so we've done some things like invest in transformative community projects. Fresno is one of those areas that was cited for that. Really cool stuff going on, whether it's urban forestry, planting shade cover in areas. And I've heard of projects that are doing that, being led by folks who were incarcerated and came out and got into this business and are now planting trees around the community to the electric ride shares and van pools for migrant farm worker towns. You know, not every state actually has this advantage. And so I think the way that they can learn from what California has done well and what it hasn't and take those lessons and apply them now that they're going to have access to these federal dollars is going to be key. They now are going to be able to tap into some of these dollars that maybe they didn't have before to invest, but they've got to invest smart. Otherwise, it's just spending. Right. And I hear a lot of people going right now, like, how do I get involved? I want to do this, but I don't know how. So a lot of the resources needs to be bilingual. And what I'm finding is a lot of these resources and information to share with the community that is mostly monolingual in those communities cannot get into that because it's not in Spanish. Do you have or do you know about any resources or are people pushing that as a bilingual resource for that community because they are predominantly monolingual. English is not their first language. There's not enough. I mean, I will say there's definitely not enough education. One, we just got this monthly newsletter started about how to draw down these climate investments, how you can plug into news and information to access these dollars and find out what funds are available. But we've been talking about how do we make it bilingual also? And it's not something we have currently. But you know who's doing some great work is uh, Chispa from the League of Conservation Voters. Chispa is their Latino organizing initiative over at the League of Conservation Voters. And they do provide a lot of great educational material on the environment. So that'd be a great place to start. Also, as I mentioned, uh, here in California, the LEAP Institute, which is based in the Central Valley, is another great organization to check out as well. Okay, yes. I see a partnership here somewhere with you guys and them. I see a lot of that needs to happen because I think the more that we're connected and dialed in on all fronts there, it just makes the messaging stronger. So that's my two cents there, whether you want it in or not. (laughs) (laughs) No, I appreciate it. It's important. Well, Michelle, thank you for joining me today on Latinas from the block to the boardroom. That's a lot of information for a lot of us to take in and to really consider about the generational youth that's coming up. You know, what are we leaving behind here for them? We need to think of all aspects, how we fit into that environmental change and community justice chain, because in some parts we are all touching it. And it's really up to us to think about what it would be like if we all just kind of did our little part to that. And it can just be the smallest thing, right? Beyond just recycling, because that's a whole other issue. And that's probably not the best sometimes. But how do we plan saving for the future? How do we plan in the resources of the future? I mean, these are very big conversations. And a lot of it has to do not just with our community, but the globe in general. So Thank you, Michelle, for planting those seeds with us today. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we close out? You know, the only thing I'll say is it's going to take all of us, 
all of us doing our parts. And no matter what you're doing, if you work in marketing, think about the stories that we're telling about who this green economy is for. If you're working in finance, think about what you could be doing to, you know, invest in different minority owned businesses and things like that. Like there's literally something for all of us to do. So that's it. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome, Michelle. And thank you. And we'll have a lot of the information we discussed today in the show notes. So thank you for joining us today on Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Thank you, Michelle, for joining us on Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. To find Michelle, you can reach out to her on LinkedIn at Michelle Romero. And you can also go to dream.org. And you can follow them on Instagram. They have a great social media presence. And they're always having new cohorts and education and events to sign up for and their newsletter to be informed about what's coming up in the new programs they're offering to Comunidad. So thank you, Michelle, for joining us today on Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. If you like this podcast, please join us by signing up for our newsletter at Latinas b2b.com and follow us on all our social media handles instagram at latinas b2b youtube at latinas b2b linkedin at teresa latinas b2b thank you for joining us today this podcast was produced by teresa e gonzalez of 5e leadership latinas b2b.marketing and the podcast latinas from the block to the boardroom. Sound design and engineering was done by Robert Lopez of Crates Audio. If you'd like to get in touch with us about how we can help you with your podcast or marketing services, you can reach out to us at info at latinasb2b.com. Gracias.